Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. On episode 56 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam and Jeremiah recap West Ham's heartbreaking loss to Arsenal. We then welcome Lou in to talk about the upcoming Wolves match and end the episode, as usual, answering some Hammers polls questions. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Episode 56 of the Green Street Hammers podcast is here with myself, Adam, and Jeremiah. Jeremiah, how are you doing today? I am doing good, man. Like we talked about pre-pod, this uh, time change here in North America is kind of kicking my ass. But other than that, we're uh, we're doing all right. I, I'm feeling the same way, man. I'm I'm, I'm deflated right now, but uh, we're staying strong. We're staying positive. And and as far as West Ham is related, uh, I swear to God, they they they're trying to get some sort of reaction out of us with these results, but. Uh, uh, the, I mean, the, the first stopping point is obviously looking back on West Ham's loss to Arsenal. Um, it, it, it didn't really feel like a loss when you watch the actual game itself, but good lord, that one or or three, which is more fitting points, would have been much more justified for West Ham, wouldn't it? Yeah, and we talked about last week that you know I think a lot of us said that a loss would be disappointing, and, and it was. This this match, you know, you're playing against Arsenal. They're not the same Arsenal that they've been for, for years gone, and uh, and man we just we let them off the hook there was multiple missed opportunities multiple times when there was what like three four or five guys in the box just kind of kicking it around and i mean credit to arsenal too they they stuck in there and eventually pulled one out but yeah it's uh it's disappointing when you look overall at like just all the missed opportunities and everything that we had going for us that we just didn't capitalize on yeah that that's the main thing it's, it, it, i mean looking at our content we've been putting out and then if you watch the game or, or you know any any minute of the game Finishing, finishing, finishing is the big theme from this one, uh, and just the general lack of it. West Ham should have been up probably 2-0 10 minutes into the match, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Multiple chances. The initial one was from Jared Bowen. That was a sneaky shot near post. Leno got a hand on it and could only manage to push it to the post and out for a corner. Uh, and then the following corner was taken really poorly by Aaron Cresswell. Didn't even make it to the 18-yard box, and, and it was cleared out. 
two chances that should have went there. And then, of course, the squaring across the front of goal or the shot on target, which you know should have happened from Mikel Antonio to Sebastian Allaire. Just a glorious missed chance. And something I talked about last week was was that Arsenal are currently a powder keg. They're ready to pop because of that Europa League exit in heartbreaking fashion to Olympiacos and their general slide down the table this year. As far as, excuse me, as far as the Premier League is concerned, they're much more comfortable as a, as a mid as a mid table team right now. Uh, mm-hmm. As it sits, they're ninth and they're on forty points. So uh, it, it just goes to show you that that West Ham really had the opportunity to take down a team that was you know emotionally unstable with the fan base and also you know as the team selection showed. I don't think Mikel Arteta really knows who his, his strongest eleven is, and and you know West Ham failed to to do anything against a team that was that was ripe and ready to be taken yeah kind of uh, very similar to us they have a lot of you know they're obviously bigger name players and they have the bigger bench but and more just nationally known or i guess internationally known but a lot of the same similarities as far as big name players just not really putting out you know you could say lacazette except he scored the goal uh but he hasn't been performing that well pepe has been up and down all year you know ozil in and out and everything else that's been going on with it it's just uh yeah they just haven't had it and we we let them off the hook for sure with just plenty of missed opportunities and the one that frustrated me the most and you already touched on it was the uh antonio to Allaire, just complete miss pass across the box and you could see the frustration was there but yeah the the uh the, the skills of it just didn't follow through yeah either play it earlier play it later take the shot on goal and what he did was the worst option which was hold it <laughs> hold it hold it and then mm-hmm. screw up the pass with the center back being there um but let, let's try and not be completely and totally negative here because there's, there's a lot of positives uh, another i guess i guess the biggest positive would be um and it's something we talked about before uh when you're not talking about one of your defenders sometimes that can be a positive and that's essentially what it was for aaron cresswell he had a tough task with pepe going up against him but you didn't really see him get skinned too often i mean pepe is dangerous and he's going to lose his coverage but uh, West Ham set up with Pablo Fornells and Jared Bowen coming back to cover uh, the wide men really well. It was almost a six at the back at times, and then everyone springs forward. Um, but but you know Aaron Cresswell, there wasn't any glaring errors from him outside of the, you know the corner kick. Uh, and then you look across the center backs were absolutely tremendous. It was the opposite. You were hearing Issa Diop and Angelo Ogbonna nonstop, just pushing out every single aerial ball that was coming in, cutting out those overlapping runs between their wingers and, and center forwards. So. Uh, they were exceptional. And then another performance from Jeremy Ngakia, who I don't think was perfect by any means. And I know everyone's getting very excited about this youngster being uh, the next, you know, the great next great thing coming from West Ham's academy. And I think he has a chance to really step up and be an impact Premier League player. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, again, there are still flaws in his growing game. He'll tell you that, that exact same thing himself. But when it comes to him stepping into this team and being comfortable, um, Forget Pablo Zabaleta. It's Ryan Fredericks who should be worried about a position now at right back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I wrote a piece on it maybe a week to probably a week ago that, yeah, him coming back, we shouldn't rush him back because we don't really need Fredericks right now. I think Ngaki is playing really well. And you already said it, but man, what a between Ogbana and nothing against Diop, but between Ogbana and Cresswell just playing on that left hand side, they really handled Pepe. Multiple times he came in and really put on a show, and they just kind of stood their ground and played well. And and you know we always seem to mention or maybe not mention Declan Rice as well, but he did a once again an outstanding job of coming back and just uh, really helping support that out. There was at least at times, like you said, six or seven defenders back there, and that's one thing that maybe maybe not right away when Moyes first came in, 
but he's definitely kind of gotten better over the last like couple of weeks of him being there. Maybe I don't know if it is the four at the back that's now finally got them going, but yeah, all in all, it was a strong defensive match, and we've really seen that over the last three weeks, so that's at least, like you said, one good positive coming out of it. And it'd be the West Ham way to play a perfect counter-attacking <laughs> style of football, have 14 shots, six of which were on goal, have all six of them stopped, and then have a deflected ball off of one of our stellar center backs, Ogbonna, mm-hmm. go over the top, VAR come in and rule overrule an offside call that, correct, correct it wasn't offside, but it was millimeters again. Uh, the mm-hmm. shady lines came out. Um, but I will say it was offside if you're going by the letter of the law. Uh, sorry, it was onside, I should say. It was not offside. Um, it, it was a legal play. The goal should have stood. Um, however, you know, millimeters, I guess, is is, is the dis- distinction coming down here. But it, it's just so West Ham. One of our best players, arguably our best player this season, has the ball deflect off of him on a tackle. It's like FIFA, you know what I mean? When, you, when you're playing mm-hmm. FIFA, you're, you're, you're anticipating, you make the right tackle, and the ball bounces off of you and goes back to him and he's in alone. Exactly that. Um, beautiful work goal when, when you realize, you know, Mesut Ozil has an entire goal, and he decides to square it across the front of the net, and Lacazette hits it home. Um, Fabianski did well to track it. I mean, you're covering a, a huge open space, and in, he got within an inch of it when it came to uh, the actual ball going into the net. But, I mean, we're not going to celebrate that. It's just a disappointing wait for it to end. And if you if you look at the table for, for West Ham, three points would have been massive. Uh, as it mm-hmm. stands right now, we're currently in 16th place, but we're tied with 17th and 18th, Watford and Bournemouth respectively on 27 points. Uh, Aston Villa also has 25 points in a game in hand, although they just got walloped for nothing by Leicester. Um, But three points would have put West Ham in 15th place above Brighton, but it would have put them above Brighton by one point and separated them from the relegation battle just a little bit more. And Southampton are trending down. Newcastle's trending down. uh, Everton, Crystal Palace, Burnley are not by any means elite competition when it comes to the mid-table. They're those solid mid-table teams that are always going to be there. Uh, It just came down to West Ham finishing their chances. And, um, you know, hats off to Mikel Antonio. He came out on social media and said disappointing result. Uh, Of course, uh, applauded the fans for their support coming across London, but basically said it's on him. Uh, He had multiple opportunities. He had a header that was beautifully picked up and, and, you know, passed from Sebastian Allaire on a ball into the box. Found him open, unmarked, and he took the header early. Um, and he just didn't put enough on it, put it right into Leno's hands. And that could have been the equalizer. And it would have been that absolute kick in the pants that West Ham needed. And just, just to pull them back in the game, one point would have been massive. It would have been, you know, more separation, like I had said. But overall, it's it's funny to say this. The only thing I don't like about this game is the scoreline. I liked every single thing else other than the finishing, obviously. That's, you know, the thing we're harping on. But, like, it was a, it was a great, great game plan by West Ham. Get your men, Get your wide men back. To help cover, explode forward, two center forwards up high. I don't care what anyone says. Mikel Antonio, despite him not being a technical striker when it comes to putting the ball in the box, he's going to get and score opportunities based off of his speed and physicality when he's playing up the middle. His versatility mm-hmm. to play out wide is just a bonus to me. But, I mean, there's not much to, to dislike about that game, is there? No, I mean, you know, we already touched on a lot of it, but Fournals had a great game again. He played really well coming up on that left side and, and, and Bowen. Bowen's been just a, a joy to see, man. He he has Love been him. one of the one of the only players on the side that's aggressive, takes on the play, and he's not afraid to shoot. He's absolutely not afraid to shoot. And that one, that kind of sneaky one, right at like a minute and eighteen, almost went in just because I don't think anybody was really expecting it. And yeah, really, all in all, it was good to see it from them. Fabs played another great another great match from him. I mean, all over the place, and really without him, scoreline could have looked a lot different. I think you're right. The frustration for me comes, you're absolutely right, it was a solid match. 
they played really well, but we need those points. The, the points now are, are kind of where it comes into play. And, and you can look at it, you know, obviously a good performance might bring points, but you look at Arsenal, they didn't have a good performance at all, according to their standards. And they haven't for the last like month or so, or at least a couple of weeks. And they end up getting all three points off of, you know, just kind of sticking with it and a lucky bounce. But all in all, those points need to start coming. I think, you know, looking way down the road, there are probably four matches that we definitely can take and we should take. But there's a lot of tough ones in there, too, especially, you know, even this week coming up with Wolves. But, yeah, the more points we can get, the better. And right now, it's, you know, that's what we need. That's the, the frustrating part is you're, you're kind of you're joyful about the, you know, you want to celebrate a good match. And it's good to see the team actually out there playing well and um, really joining together, too, by the way. They look like they're really playing well together for the first time. And it's, I guess the last three weeks they've been doing that. But before that, it was it had been a while. That was definitely something that we griped on. So it's good to see that, but the points need to follow. And yeah, you wrote a, you wrote a good piece about at, that, yeah. <laughs> where it's basically no no more. There's no time left for you know decent performances and, and good efforts. It's time to, to start putting some points in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, despite it being a quote unquote strong effort from from <laughs> West Ham, not coming away with at least a point in that match is a disappointment. I think we can all agree on. Um, now this is going to sort of bleed into our next segment, which is talking about the upcoming match. But um, you 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 said Pablo Fornells had a great match. And I think the week before we discussed him basically having a man of the match performance with his two assists against uh, Southampton. Uh, but there's people calling for the potential switch with him and Felipe Anderson, uh, maybe as an opportunity to get more speed and uh, forward play from the left side. Uh, Fornells is not a natural left winger and you've seen him have the most success. I think when he drifts from the left wing on the inside where you see Felipe Anderson embrace having his back to the sideline and, and, you know, using that to his advantage and his speed as well. Uh, do you think that it's going to be more of a timeshare between these two players going forward? Or do you expect one or the other to grab the reins and, and really hold on to it? Really hope right now that we see a lot more of Fornals because just the form that he's in, the way he's playing, you're right. He's not naturally out there. Well, he does drift, but he plays well on that, and, and you are, we already touched it. He covers back well defensively. Felipe Anderson, just depending on the Felipe Anderson that we get, which one's actually going to show up? Are we going to have the one that was kind of you know last season's Felipe, a couple of matches this season, or are we going to have the one that's been the majority of this year, where you know just hard determination? If you would put those two together, Fornals would win night and day every time when you determined heart and finish and just wanting to actually like push strong. And so that's kind of where that's where it looks at to me is I'm like, we should probably keep for in there regardless if he's not going to be that wide or not, just because he is going to keep pushing and keep playing and not giving up. And, but I think all in all, if, if we did get a Felipe back, I mean, I'm going to give you kind of a, a 50, 50 answer, but yeah, I guess overall if I had to, I would say for but Anderson, if we could be the right Anderson, then sure. Give him half a chance. Yeah. I'm, I'm of two minds <laughs> about this because I think, Pablo Fornells ha- has a extremely high ceiling as a player, um, mm-hmm. but I think Felipe Anderson can make more of an instant impact now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I know what he is as a player. I think he's been disappointing at times this season, but I also think um, people are ready to praise Mikel Antonio for running hard and not getting anything done for the majority of the matches he's been in, but just for putting in that good effort. What's the difference between that and what Felipe Anderson is doing, except he has defensive coverage? That's, I think, a different side of the game that people don't want to look at. And again, it's people almost overcompensating. In my mind, some people, of course, not everyone's scooped into this, but a lot of people overcompensate when it comes to praising English players because it's the it's the Premier League. You know, these people are from England. Uh, a lot of the supporters, obviously, are English. So um, 
I think there's almost a little bit of a shading and a favoritism as far as, you know, player support goes. I think Felipe Anderson's absolutely world-class. I think there's a reason why he cost as much as he did. And, you know, there's a reason why he scored nine goals last last season for West Ham. And he has that ability to, to you know, be a game-breaker. And we've seen it off the wing. When he gets a look at goal, uh, he, he's going to rush in there and he's going to make a difference. So it's a matter of getting him back and firing. People also don't want to seem to to recognize that he's been out with an injury for the better part of a month, and he's come back in two, uh, in two appearances as a sub late in the game without enough time to really make an impact. He's also a 90-minute player. So, I, I mean, I don't understand the harping on him. I, I know I hear I'm a big fan of Dave uh, from the West Samway podcast, and he's talking about cutting ties with him. I just don't see it. It just makes no sense to me. I understand Lanzini. There's a physical, uh, physical aspect of his... Uh, degradation as a player and it seems that that's leaking into the mental game now but i just we don't have a like for like replacement for Felipe anderson and he's world class on his day i agree his day is not coming far enough but you have to have some sort of slack given him coming off of an injury and also not getting the playing time right now uh but again i, I digress and i think we will see more of both of them moving forward but mm-hmm. i do agree with you right now it's for now's job to lose he had another strong performance although he didn't pop up on the score sheet because we got blanked um he, he looks settled and he looks like as much as uh, our good friend Smokey likes to say on, on Twitter that Mikel Antonio is not a center forward, Pablo Fornells is not a left winger. But as it, as it works out, you know these players are growing into these new positions for Fornells. He's, what, 23 years old? He's got a lot more playing and, and developing to do. So we'll see where he factors in. But I, I think I agree with you. It's him right now, and that's what we're going to see for the, for the foreseeable future. It's a good problem to have, right? I mean, we have two left wing slash left mid players that are both 90 minute players that are fighting for time. We don't, we don't normally get that, uh, that type of luxury at West Ham. So it is good to have, I think the unfortunate is eventually one of them. If you play the other one more, is probably going to want to leave, but uh, yeah, all in all, it's a good problem to have. They just have to keep him running and see what happens. And then obviously, you know, with jumping into Yarmolenko coming back too, I saw he played for the under 23s today um, in the PL2 He's going to be coming back, and that right side is going to start getting full as well. So I guess it's a good problem to have, especially coming down with nine minutes left or nine matches left. Sorry, I completely agree. And, and with that, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about West Ham's next match against Wolves. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. All right. Phase two of the episode is live here, and we have a, a joiner on here, jumping on the moving train. We have Lou. Uh, Lou, how's it going? Welcome in. Thank you very much. Yeah, not too bad. Um, not as good as this time last week, due to obvious reasons, but uh, we keep on going. You missed that part of the podcast. Can't be sad anymore. We have to be optimistic about Sunday now. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the reason why I came in late. I didn't want to go over... Uh, last Saturday's performance again. Well, Thank not you. Thank That's you. Fair. Yeah, we, we tried to keep it as positive as Result. possible. Yeah, you probably did the right thing there. We don't want to. We know. We know the players check tw- uh, Twitter now, so we don't want to, you know, jump on that bandwagon. Uh, but <laughs> as mentioned, uh, we are talking about the next game up. Uh, West Ham face off against Wolverhampton, who currently sit sixth in the Premier League. Uh, a really impressive rise to. You know, having a steady, a steady life in the Premier League two years after promotion, uh, they're vying for a Champions League position. It looks like they'll maybe settle in for a Europa League position. 
uh, as they're in right now. However, um, they are coming off of a nil-nil draw with Brighton, who uh, we drew with as well. So uh, <laughs> a very different feel probably to the, those two draws. But regardless, uh, Wolves are a strong team. And Lou, I want to get your opinion first here. Uh, do you think West Ham have more of a chance, less of a chance, or a similar chance to, to getting a result as they did against Arsenal, who are a notorious top six team uh, in, in you know, the history of the Premier League? Uh, it's a bit of a difficult one to judge, to be honest, because uh, obviously Wolves have a game on Thursday all the way uh, in Greece at Olympiakos, if I'm right. Yes. And obviously that is a long trip, and you would think with the two-legged tie being this week and next week that that will be the priority over perhaps a league game at this stage of the season. So whether they'll play the strongest team on Thursday and maybe a bit of a weaker one on Sunday, I don't know. But obviously they seem, well, they are a very fit size fight, a fit side <laughs> under Nuno. And I think whatever team will play, they will be defensively sound. They'll probably have a lot more fitness than us, despite the extra games like they proved earlier on in the season. And they're just very tactically aware. And obviously they've got star quality as well with the likes of Jimenez and Jota up front. So I think we're in for a tough game. But if we do create the amount of chances that we did against Arsenal, I think it would be difficult to not put any of those chances away. Yeah, I agree. If we if we get 14 shots and six on goal, I think it'll be miraculous. Oh, another chance I forgot about was Mikel Antonio taking that header from Issa Diop in front of the net on the corner and missing the net somehow. Yes. That yes. was unbelievable. That blew my mind when I watched it back. Um, but anyways, positivity, positivity, positivity. <laughs> Jeremiah, uh, they play a 3-5-2 system uh, with the wingbacks. Uh, Doherty on the right side and Vinegra on the right at this one. I know uh, Johnny also plays uh, out wide sometimes as well. Uh, I think he's actually their starter when it comes out to there. But this is the lineup that they played uh, against uh, Brighton uh, on the weekend. It was Rui Patricio in goal, Boley, Cody, Saiz in the back line, and then their midfield five was Doherty, Dendonker, Neves, Moutinho, Vinegra, and then Jimenez and Jota up top. They also had on the bench uh, backup keeper Bruno Jordão, uh, Pedro Neto, Daniel Podence, their uh, summer or their January signing, John Ruddy, Adama Traore, Max Kilman, and Oscar Burr. Uh, actually, Oscar Burr is the backup keeper. Bruno Jordão, I do not know anything about. Uh, but that's a pretty skilled team, and you know they they made two subs in this game. They brought in Podence, who's their their uh, offensive. <clears throat> reinforcement in the 74th minute but 10 minutes prior to that they brought on maybe the most exciting player in the Premier League in Adame Traore so they have firepower to spare but more than their firepower I'm concerned about how West Ham can break down their their five in the midfield five at the back whatever you want to call it their wing back system do you think West Ham has an answer for that and if so how would you go about attacking this Wolves team that seems to be so versatile I think you got to probably stick to what is kind of happening right now. I think, you know, it, it didn't, the finishing and the, I guess, technicality didn't come through against Arsenal, but they were finding a way to get through them. Now, granted, they're, they're set up completely uh, way different on defense, but just stick with what you have and see if it can work through. I think with the likes of Bowen and Fernals or, or Anderson, whoever's going to play out on the left side, playing out wide and those two up front and, 
yeah, I, I think they're going to have that. Just the same kind of passing. You've seen a lot of the, the straightforward passing, but a lot of good runs as well. And just got to make better passes across the box is really what's going to come down to it. They are going to be tired, but they, they're kind of an anomaly of a side. I don't think anybody expected them to be as good as they were last year. And then this year, I think everyone kind of figured, oh, they're going to have the, the Europa kind of, it's going to put them to sleep a little bit. They're going to have the sophomore slump. And, and none of that really happened because here they still are they're still in the europa league they're well off into the, you know getting closer to the to the finals of the thing and they're still finishing the season out really well in the in the epl so i think all in all it's going to be a tough side to play and you know kind of going back on the same question you answered or you asked lou i think that it's honestly it might be an even tougher task against them than it was against arsenal but keeping the same ways they just got to learn to finish a little bit better and i think they can still break through that defensive line realistically if we get half the chances we did against arsenal better finishing puts west ham in a good spot and, and like i said i'm not too concerned about their attack versus our defense because as strong as wolves attack's been uh under david Moyes and even before that west ham's defensive backline has been very strong uh, angelo ogbana's i mean the renaissance season we thought he was having last year has turned into this season and he's even better so uh, I don't know. He, he's channeling Maldini back there, but he he's he's unbelievable, and, and he he's everything you could ask for from from a center back and a leader. Um, now I want to get both of your opinions on this question, and I bring up leadership on purpose. This is a, a relatively young team that West Ham boasts here, um, and I think all of us would probably be in agreement that we don't see Mark Noble starting this game in the midfield. We see a, a midfield two and a four four two likely with. Thomas Suchek taking his spot beside Declan Rice. Uh, Lou, I want to come to you first here. Is that First of all, is that what you see when it comes to West Ham's setting up uh, the team sheet here? And if so, do you think there could be a lack of leadership in the squad without Noble being out there? Um, in a sense, yeah. But at the same time, Noble, uh, Noble's leadership qualities don't outweigh his performances on the pitch at the minute. And even then, his leadership qualities were were where is that actually getting us? Because we lose <laughs> most of our games and we don't pick up many points up until well, up until recently the Southampton game. And I think overall we will be better as a team with Suchek in the middle, despite his obviously limited appearance so far. But what from what we have seen from him, he just adds that. He's, he's just got that extra bit of pace, extra bit of height, and just extra bit of graft in the middle where we need it, and where especially Declan Rice needs it, and he's needed that all season. So I don't think we can, unless he just somehow, for some reason, decides to drop Fernals, then I can't really see a place for Noble in the team on Sunday. And, I mean, preferably the rest of the season. And preferably doesn't come from, I don't think, a, a place of anger, but more of a realization that he doesn't have the physical tenacity that he once did. And also, he's played almost every minute of every Premier League game for West Ham this season so far. So it's taken a toll. And from someone who's had, I think, multiple hernia surgeries as well, um, that's going to that's gonna pile up and, and help. And the thing is, he'll still always be around the squads, whether mm-hmm. training, on the bench. So in the dressing room so he'll always have that you know he'll always have that presence and he'll let himself known to the squad before they go on the pitch so they'll know what to do in that sense 
Yeah, I agree. And also, I think that you know, you'll, you've know you seen Kevin Nolan get up and screaming on the touchline. Mm. Um, and I think you're gonna, you may see that open the door for someone like Noble to get up there and start yelling, especially at Declan Rice, who I think Noble, I think Noble was quoted this week of saying, um, basically, a, a premier, I forget who it was who told it to him. Uh, he, he was, God, I, I cannot remember who it was. I, I really hope I'm, I'm quoting this correctly, but Noble was basically saying this, this player was... Quote. Sorry, go ahead. Don Hutchison quote. I, I think it may have been where he basically said, you know, why are you, why are you ragging on me so much? It's nonstop. And he goes, listen, if, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't waste the time on it. Well, uh, just on you. Yeah. So 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 basically, I I, I want to see that as well. I, I want to see there's people pulling up videos on on <clears throat> on Twitter. You know, captains. Te- I think it was Tadic tearing a, a strip off of Dest uh, on Ajax. And basically saying, oh, you don't see Noble doing this. And it, the, that is such a played out storyline because not everything has to be a physical alteration and blow up. You don't know what happens behind closed doors, on the training ground, whatever, whatever. But I want to see Noble be the person who demands that level of elite talent and elite level performance from Declan Rice in the midfield if he's not on the pitch because he knows he's the heir apparent to that captain's throne. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, for, for you know running off there but uh, I also want to know your thoughts because I think you may have different views from Lou when it comes to the leadership loss for West Ham and, and if there'll be an impact uh, based on that leadership loss with, with uh, Mark Noble not necessarily being out there we don't think yeah I think it, I think it really depends and, and you know Lou already touched on it a little bit but it just depends on the type of Mark Noble that was going to be out there anyway I, I do fear there might be a little bit of leadership loss but at the same time I know that you know, Suchek is a much better player now. And how enticing is it to think of having Rice and Suchek both back there together? They're both young. This could be, you know, if all things work out well for West Ham, this could be a thing for a while. Um, so having them back there together, the leadership then at that point, you know, you have to look, I think, maybe to Cresswell, maybe Agbana. That's kind of where I would look for a leadership role. Um, and it's not going to be maybe as intense as Noble. I think, you know, in years past, we've always used the old saying, and I know I've wrote on a lot that, you know, when when Mark Noble plays, West Ham wins. But this season, it's kind of died off from that a little bit. So I think all in all, we're looking at age. We're looking at just overall ability. He's still got a lot of ability. He's still playing in a Premier League team. But at the same time, he's just kind of lost a lot. And, and yeah, no disrespect to him having him not in there, but I don't see any way that he can play or can't start now that Suchek's back. And I think that it is going to have a little bit of a hindrance as far as maybe leadership roles. They are going to probably know what to do, but there is a little bit of fear there too that might just take a little bit not having him you know, right there on the pitch kind of yelling and screaming and going back and forth. Uh, now I want to get your both of your guys' thoughts here. Maybe we can close out the, this, this section of the podcast on this. Um, I'm going to go through the lineup here and read you how West Ham set up uh, in the last game against uh, Arsenal here, and I want to see if you guys would make any substitutions. Um, Fabianski was in goal, of course. The back four was Cresswell, Ogbonna, Diop, and Ngakia. The midfield four was Fornals, Rice, Noble, and Bowen. I think we all agree that Noble will be out in place will be Suchek. And then up top was Sebastian Allaire and Mikel Antonio. There's been a lot of talk about who comes in, who comes out, if anyone does at all. Uh, we'll, we'll take Suchek as a given, but uh, Jeremiah, I want to start with you. Are you making any other changes to that team that uh, that lost at Anfield? No, that was... Uh, Sorry, not at Anfield, exact- at the Emirates, I, I should say. I know, you're good. You're good. No, that, that was the exact one I was hoping to see. And even the subs when they came in, that was exactly you know what I was really wanting to see from that too. I think that was played off well. With the team that we have right now, that's exactly what we should see coming in. Those three, Anderson, Suchek, and then you know switching out the midfield a little bit. But 
yeah, I think I think all in all, it was exactly what I'd hoped to see. Realistically, Lou, do you, are you making any more changes? Um, I don't think so. I do want to start seeing Anderson integrated into the team in some way. More so than a ten-minute you know appearance at the end of the game. I mean, it wasn't even ten minutes, was it? Really? I've maybe I combined he... over the last two games. Sorry. <laughs> It was subbed on far too late against Arsenal. I, I thought when when it was nil, I think that was the perfect time to sub him on when the game was very stretched, and his qualities could have, you know, possibly shone through. But uh, I'm not really sure who I would take out of the team at the minute in regards to bringing Anderson in for a starting place. But at least at the minute, I'd like to start seeing him introduced a lot earlier in the game, maybe around like the the hour mark or something. Yeah, I, I'm torn on this one. I, something I want to dispel, and, and I'll, I, I think you guys may want probably want to as well, um, it is uh, Albion Ajedi. People are calling for him to start with Mikel Antonio being dropped. Um, I don't see West Ham winning many of these games with him with him coming off the bench. Uh, I think he can make a huge impact as a sub, and his physical uh, his physical qualities help him do that. Running at tired defenders. But he offers too much at the start and in the middle of games that you can't just subtract that from the team. Uh, and I don't think Ajedi's done anything really to garner any, anyone giving him you know, a huge chance like that in a relegation battle. Uh, granted, he hasn't had any real substantial opportunities. But the, the big thing, I, I, I'm contemplating, I'm flipping back and forth between Felipe Anderson and Pablo Fornals just for this game. People would, would go crazy because everyone's loving Pablo Fornals, but... Uh, realistically, if you're going to play in, you know, West Ham may do that morphing into a 4-3-3 or a 4, mm-hmm. so yeah, 4 3 or 4-4-2 as it needs. Uh, and, you know, I don't like Fornals as a winger up top, uh, isolated. I do see him as more of a central player as he played for Spain. And, and I think he he likes to play in the middle of the pitch as, as we talked about, Jeremiah. But I, I need to see Felipe Anderson more, especially coming off of his injury. I just need to see that. I don't know when it'll happen, but um, that's something that I'm, I'm flipping back and forth. And we'll see when I do the predicted 11 piece, um, which I'm one for however many matches it is. Uh, and it was back when Pellegrini wouldn't change his team ever. So I can't take too much credit. But we'll see what I land on there. But again, that's a, Jeremiah, you highlighted it before. It's a great problem to have when you have two players who are extremely talented and pushing each other to get into the starting 11. I'm okay with that problem. Uh, I just don't know who gives us a better chance to win. Um, all right, gentlemen, any, any final thoughts on this game? Are we positive about it? Are we a little bit concerned? Uh, Lou, I'll go to you first. Yeah, um, based on the performances over the last couple of weeks, and I am positive in that sense. But like I say, it's just going back to the thing we discussed before about taking our chances. We both know that Antonio, when supplied with a chance, doesn't always take it, despite you know the the various threats in other forms that he offers around the pitch. And Ale hasn't really proved to be that clinical either over the course of the season. So we just need to take our chances when they do come, because I don't think Wolves will squander as many chances as Arsenal did at the weekend. And we just need to continue with our defensive form as well because that's looked good and we were unlucky to come away from the Emirates without a clean sheet because Diop and Ogbonna are improving week by week. So I think if we just, you know, play well as a whole and Moyes gets his substitutions right, I think we can come away with the win combined with 
obviously Wolves doing a very long trip to Olympiacos in the week. And it should be noted as well that they're actually asking for the game to be postponed due to the coronavirus outbreak and Olympiacos's owner saying that he is in self-isolation after believing to have contracted the disease or been exposed to it, the virus, I should say. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. I think selfishly, we're all hoping that they, you know, they play the game behind closed doors. No fans were set to be there anyways, I don't believe. And everyone comes back fine and we just beat them based off of them being tired, us being motivated. Um, but as well, this is something it's almost difficult to comment on the, the coronavirus impact on the game right now because there's so much, I guess, misinformation and hysteria around it. But there's also, you know, the real threat of, you know, public exposure. So who knows at this point in time, it's still, despite it being a few, like a month on, a couple of weeks on, it's still too early to really call it. Uh, it's nice to see the Premier League is still remaining open-minded with that, but it can change it at any time uh jeremiah final thoughts going into this one are we, are we confident yeah i think if you look at the overall aspect of it with the can we talk already with the formation and just the way we've been playing that's positive uh i think regardless of the fact that wolves are to play on thursday and they play the following thursday and this match is kind of sandwiched in between we're still going to see a really good side from them and since they've come back to the premier league we've really had no chance against wolves at all so that's a little bit disheartening i think uh once again I don't want to kind of jinx it again saying that it would be disappointing to get a loss in this match, but I, I do think we'll come away with a draw. It's going to be – it will be a tougher match than the Arsenal one, and Wolves just want it more than Arsenal at the moment. And So I think that play, figuring out how to play against that defense is going to be a much tougher task, and you already talked about Anderson or maybe Fernals or whoever, whatever is going to happen. We'll let Moyes figure out that that's what he gets paid for. But overall, yeah, it's going to be a lot tougher match, and I kind of potentially see a draw coming out of it. All right, with that, we will close this out and we'll come back and answer some Hammers Polls questions. The final segment of the Green Street Hammers podcast, episode 56, is here. And as always, uh, or as usual, we are going to answer some Hammers Polls questions at Hammers Polls on Twitter um, for the West Ham fan polls as per usual. Uh, this question is from 25 minutes ago as of recording, and there are 137 votes on it. it is, I voted prematurely, so it's very split. Uh, and there's also a corresponding video at the Hammers Pulls YouTube page, so go check that out. It's all over the Hammers Pulls page, or just search Hammers Pulls on YouTube to find it. Um, the question is, Andre Yarmolenko is set to return to the West Ham squad for the match against Tottenham on March 20th. As we speak, he's he just got taken off against uh, Derby and the under-23s team there. Uh, but do you guys still think there's a place for Yarmolenko in this team? Jeremiah, I'll go to you first. I think there's a potential spot for him on the bench, but kind of just how we talked, his size is there. He's got good size, but something, you know, when an Achilles injury comes into play and then the other injury comes in with that, it's, it takes a lot away, I think, from, from the player's psyche. And, and the way that, that Bowen's playing on the right side right now, there's no way I think he comes back and just jumps right in and playing. Um, he might be a good fit on the bench if we can get the uh, confidence in himself back, possibly. But his size is good, but that's it's really all he cuts up to right now, so I just don't see it. Lou, what do you think? Uh, yeah, pretty much agree with that. I think obviously he was doing very well earlier in the season, and a bit of patchy form here, and then kind of like Jack Wilshere, we've not really heard much from him since. And if we get the Yarmolenko that we managed to, you know, see earlier in the season, then he'll be a good addition to the team. But Obviously, I think it'll it'll probably take him a few weeks to even get back to that level. And by that time, you know, the season may well have run out. So it's a difficult one. 
yeah, I'm of I'm of a different mindset. I say no. Um, I was his biggest hype man early this season. Uh, I, he, he he had a very real chance to be the highest scoring Ukrainian player in Premier League history, which would have been cool. Um, but he I mean, the injuries have just been atrocious for him, and it's not to any fault of his own. Two Achilles done, and then uh, I forget the last injury what it was. Um, but again, he's been out for so long. Um, but as it stands, I, I don't see him coming on in his natural position, which is on the right side. He likes to cut him for that shot. Jared Bowen does that much better. Robert Snodgrass does that, plus set-piece delivery. Um, so he's not passing either one of them at the moment. Felipe Anderson can play on the right side with his right foot uh, and, and whip in some crosses and also dribble really well. Um, if there is a chance for him to be back in this team, I see it as a striker option, and I would probably take him over a jetty as it stands. I mean, he leads the line for Ukraine. Uh, he can't be all that bad as a striker. I just think we need to <laughs> see how that works out. Um, but I, I say no, and 53.4% said no. Uh, and realistically, I bet you he's as good as gone when, when the summer rolls around. Um, but we'll see. Um, another question that comes in here, very interested to see how this one plays out. Uh, 691 votes are in on it. The question is, would you sell 30-year-old Antonio in the summer while he still has some value if an adequate replacement is found? That's a big if, but, and Lou, I want to start with you. Are you selling Antonio in the summer? That's a very difficult question. Um, like you say, it's very hypothetical because if we find an adequate replacement, then hypothetically we will be in a good position, but Antonio just offers so much to the team and we always play better, despite what anyone says, when he is on the pitch. We always look like much more of a threat when he is on the pitch. But he's at the age now where you just want him to improve in certain areas. But obviously turning 30, it's very unlikely that he will improve. And you just got to take the rough with this move with Antonio. So missed chances galore and random touches out of play is what you're going to get. But on the plus side, you'll get these runs in behind. You'll get the physicality. You'll get the aerial presence. And you'll get the just constant tormentation for opposition defenders that no one else in the team like offers. So I'll say no just because of what I just said, and I really like him just as a player and a man. So at this moment, I wouldn't sell. Sorry. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I don't think we'd get that much for him anyway, so I don't know how much, like, how worth it would be. Uh, I agree with that as well. Jeremiah, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, let, I'm glad you uh, let Lou answer that one first, because this is a tough one, but uh, realistically, yeah, same same echo on what he said. It's no way. Uh, the dude's got probably the most heart out there, definitely the most just all over the pitch. It might not be the prettiest look all the time, but, you know, you always know that you're going to see the best out of him. He does, like we talked about before, pull the best out of others. He's currently pulling more out of Allaire. He's, he's getting Allaire to be working and sprinting and, and putting in the more work effort. So I think you lose him, yeah, you're going to definitely lose a lot with that. And I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that would be adequate, but for the same price, if, if you're looking around the same prices, you're not going to find it. So I think at this point we just kind of cut our losses and keep him. He definitely is a type of player, though, that you've seen in the West Ham Pass that are getting around that age of the 30 mark and they're – you know, maybe a good, solid squad player, a good, solid, solid starter, but then we see him get rid of. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm going to say no as well on this one. Uh, I think you're, you, Lou brought up a good point. You're not going to see 
a huge value for him because of his age and his injury issues in the past. Knock on wood, he has sustained injuries this season, but he, he seemed to have pushed on from them. Uh, and whether that comes from you know midweek rest sessions or improved physio, who knows? But but he has been you know a, a regular fixture for 90 minutes on multiple occasions over the last few weeks. So I'm happy with that. Uh, he's also a player who's played through the bad times, the good times. Came up. He, he's he's a Jamie Vardy esque story where you know coming from lower league football and traveling all the way up to the Premier League, he has that chip on his shoulder and wants to succeed and. I think he's realistic at his age where he's not going to go play for Manchester United or, you know, Liverpool. He knows where his level is. And I'd like to see him sort of push on from that and stay with the team. Also, if you're going to teach an old dog new tricks, I'd much rather you teach him how to shoot better than how to run harder, faster, or, you know, be more physically strong. He's the, he's the biggest specimen on the team when it comes to physicality. So he has, I think, the intangibles to be good. It just comes with a, with a matter of honing in that skill. Uh, and 64.3% agree with all three of us and say no to selling them. But the fact that it is 36% is is pretty telling, I think, about that. Um, should Suchek start this weekend for Wolves? Uh, we all said yes to that, and 94% on 377 votes agree with us. We can skip past that one. This is what I want to get to because there's 1,488 votes on this question. And, uh, Jeremiah, we're going to start with you, so pay attention. Uh, the question is, would you drop Antonio against Wolves? Uh, we can sort of cruise past it because we already did touch on it, but um, what, what say you on this? Yeah, no, I'm still starting him. He, he's he got the pace that's going to come along and kind of combat the Wolves' pace because that's what they are. They're a pacey side, and um, you bring somebody like a Yeti in there or uh, I don't know who else you would want to play up front at this point, you're not going to get the same thing. So definitely start him. He's going to add that pace and bring the players with him. Uh, and Lou, any anything different from you on that? No, I agree. He, he needs to keep his place in the scene, not just for his like for what he brings, but obviously we touched on he gets the best out of all the players, uh, like namely Allah. And I think to, like if we want the best out of Allah, then we've got to get that kind of support around him, which Antonio uh, thrives off doing so. Yeah, I'm of the same mindset. I'm not dropping him um, just because I don't think we have a like-for-like replacement with him. If we had, if Zande Silva had played the whole season and he was looking to be more of that player, maybe you, you give him a chance to start. I think Ajedi's probably done with his West Ham experiment as well, uh, and you'll see West Ham move on from him in the summer. Uh, I don't think that you're going to see David Moyes investing time in players that he doesn't see a future with, especially with a relegation battle coming along this way. Um, so he'll ride his players into the ground here. The only one I think you may see a gamble on would be Jack Wilshere. If he comes back, I don't know why. I just I have a feeling that you'll see good old uh, Scottish David Moyes sticking with the idea of going with a, an English-born player, but what do I know? Um, to, to piggyback on this question, uh, by the way, 90% of 1,489 votes said that uh, they agree he should not be dropped. Um, but a, a much closer uh, sneak peek uh, here and much closer response for the next question that tails on this. Should it Bowen and Antonio swap positions? Lou, do you see Bowen as a striker uh, or or do you like him staying out on the right side? I think he has looked very effective on the right-hand side so far, especially in our last home match against Southampton. And it was kind of what happened when he scored his first goal, well, his only goal, when he like drifted in from that space mm-hmm. for the 
for, to receive the ball from Fanal. So I've never really seen him play up front, so it's hard to say. But he does seem the type who kind of like drifts in rather than just stays up front. I'm not sure how comfortable he would be in that specific role. But I wouldn't be exactly adverse to seeing it sometime in the future. Uh, Jeremiah, do you, do you think there's a there's a, a reason to switch these two players around? I don't think there's necessarily a reason, but I'm going to go different and say that, yeah, I'd like to see it. I think um, having Antonio out on the right side is still going to have his space. You know he's still going to be cutting up and in. He's still going to be pushing hard on that side and forcing either Bowen or Alair or both of them to push up well with him. And just the aggressiveness that Bowen's showed so far, we get that inside the box and you get him the ball, he's going to put it away or at least come close to putting it away. So, yeah, just maybe to be a little different than everybody else, I'm going to say, yeah, I would, I would, I would take the swap and see what would happen. I also don't think you're losing anything defensively, as great as Bowen's been working with Ngakia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen instances of Mikel Antonio tracking back from being a solo striker to come back to our own box to make a, a goal-saving tackle. So uh, he also has, has that damn experience of being a right, a right back. Um, so he can you know rest his laurels on that and his experience. And I think he would do fine, and so would Bowen. But uh, for right now, I think stability is what the team needs. So let's stick with what's quote-unquote working as far as creating offense goes, and we'll see exactly if we can build on that. Um, okay, let me scan here. We'll go for one more one more question. Uh, and uh, this is bad podcasting. Um, okay, have <laughs> Wolves, Spurs, and Chelsea next three games. We need some points. How many will we get? This one comes from at Tony Pearson 2. Uh, zero to two points, three points, four points, five points, or more. Uh, Jeremiah, we'll start with you on this one. Do you think we're getting a couple wins? Maybe a draw, maybe two draws. What do you see here? I I'm going really right down the middle and saying three points. I think all three matches are going to end up being a draw, and not yeah. I I see us playing well, but I just still see us coming up just a little bit short because it. They are all good sides, regardless of Spurs has kind of been up and down, and Chelsea has been really up and down too. But their side, if they get what we just saw last week and before, if they get they get a hold of you, I mean, lights out because they just have the speed and the youth to go with it. So yeah, I think we'll have uh, three points in the next three matches. Lou, how many points are you racking us up for? I'll go for five points. Mm. Normally, this optimistic, but I can see us <laughs> winning uh, at Spurs again who are in dreadful form uh, under Mourinho. They're losing 2-0 right now, actually. And mm-hmm. They're about to the Champions League, which is good to see. But uh, I think we'll draw against Wolves and then maybe a draw at home to Chelsea as well. So, yeah, I think I think five points, and I think that would move us up the league quite, quite nicely. Yeah, I'm I'm on four points in my head. I see a win and a draw and a loss, uh, a little bit of everything here. I don't think we're going to get walloped by anybody, but I do think Chelsea are the most um, bang-on informed team here, despite Wolves being strong. So a, a point against either one of them, and, and like you, Lou, I think we're going to get a win uh, against Tottenham just because that's the West Ham way. Uh, and let's kick, a, let's kick a, a horse when it's down, especially a Mourinho-led one from Tottenham. So... Um, with that positivity here, actually, let's look. Let's let's follow up here on my. So everyone agrees with me. Thirty nine percent of these people voting said four points, but it's all evenly split. Thirteen point four said five. Three points was twenty three, and twenty three point uh, percent as well for zero to two points. 
Um, but gentlemen, that, that's I think we've touched all the bases here. Uh, you know, there, there's still positivity in the club despite not picking up points against Arsenal. Uh, and I think it'll be a big statement if West Ham can, can show that same sort of effort against a team like Wolves uh, who are who are ready to go, to ready to push for that Champions League football. Um, it'll be a tough match. I think we're motivated for it. Uh, Lou, any final thoughts on, on West Ham this weekend and on the match coming up? No. Perfect. No. Jeremiah, any thoughts? <laughs> no, this is, the, uh, this is the best time to go out and do it. So if it's going to happen, it's got to be this weekend. I think uh, you said it much nicer than I would <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Uh, as as I hit stop recording, West Ham under 23s in the International Premier League Cup or whatever it is they're playing in are currently going to penalties. So by the time you're listening to this, hopefully, hopefully we move on. Uh, but until next time, come on, you irons. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.